Hi, and welcome to another episode of What I Wish I'd Known, the Google Partners podcast. I'm your host, Alex Langshire, and today we're going to go deep on the key lessons learned by a veteran, and by that I mean a longtime veteran of the podcast world and business. You know, podcasts are really an amazing phenomenon with estimates ranging about half a million podcasts available online in over 100 languages uh, in the iTunes world. What's equally amazing is how they capture people's attention. So some stats that I read say that fully 86% of listeners listen to most, if not all, of a podcast episode once they start. And it's really easy to see why there are so many podcasts out there. It's because the barrier to entry is so low and the potential market is actually quite large. So if you're, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you'd probably be thinking by now, I kind of smell some opportunity. So you know, it's no secret that a lot of organizations from universities and governments, and companies and consultancies and agencies are therefore getting into the podcast game. It's another channel. It represents an opportunity to get your message out, to find and build and connect with an audience. And in all of that, basically contribute and build your brand. So it really does seem like it's an easy and logical thing to do, but be forewarned because if experience is any teacher, and by that I mean my experience, it's not as easy as it seems. And there's a lot more work than you can anticipate, and it lurks in the shadows all along the way. So, you know, my own experience, I think, is really probably very similar to many others that get into the podcast game. There's a lot of learning on the go. I'm testing things out. I'm evaluating. I'm soliciting feedback from people that I respect, and I'm doing my research. And what I found particularly helpful is to pay really close attention to those people that have podcasts that I admire and listen to and how they produce those podcasts. And I've also made it a point to ask my friends and colleagues to share with me what podcasts they're listening to because I'm, I'm really interested in what they like about them, and how often they listen to them, and what they're getting from them. So if you're in the marketing world like I am, there's a pretty good chance you've probably heard of today's guest, and that's John Wall, who's one half of the Marketing Over Coffee duo. I want to welcome you to the podcast, John. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. John, you're a longtime podcast veteran, and you and Chris have uh, had some amazing guests on your show, and you've been really successful at building a profit-making enterprise from your podcast. So there's, I'm sure, tons of stuff that you're going to share with us. I'm really stoked to hear what they are. But before we begin, I'm going to ask if you can tell us a little bit about your backstory and help our listeners understand how you how you got into this. Sure. I started uh, podcasting back in 2006. I was working at Marketing Sherpa at the time, and I kind of had this perfect storm of time to kill on my commute, and I loved audio equipment, and that was when podcasting first came on the scene, so I jumped into that. But aside from that, I'm also you know in tech. I've worked on a number of startups. The most current is a company called Event Hero. But... Uh, uh, yeah. After getting, you know, kind of my first taste of podcasting um, in 2007, I started marketing over coffee with Christopher Penn, and that's where things kind of were finally aligned the right way and started to take off. And as I understand, it's been um, you've been successful at monetizing your podcast and and for for quite some time now too, right? Yeah, it's it's been amazing though. Literally in the past three years, it's been like twenty to thirty percent growth year over year. You know, it, the mass market has definitely shown up over the past three years. But yeah, most of in fact for the entire history of the show, we have had income, um, but we really didn't turn the corner until about three years ago. And now I kind of sit, when I say income, you know, advertising is only about a half of what comes in of the total income. It's the fact that it's driven the ability for me to do podcast production for other partners and produce for other people. And uh, you know, Chris and I both have books, and Chris does a lot of public mm -hmm. speaking, and we're able to kind of drive traffic to some of our other assets. So that is also part of the mix. 
You know, it's kind of the old saw. You're like uh, maybe not quite an overnight success, but yeah, uh, let's say a success 10 years in the making. Yes, that is, you know, you kind of arrive on the scene and everybody thinks it's, you know, you just showed up. But yeah, it has been 10 years of cranking in episodes. I mean, we're up over 500 episodes and yeah, it, it has not been overnight. That's for sure. That's a fantastic body of work. So, John, let's get into the premise of today's podcast. And my question is really quite simple. What would be the top five strategically tactical actions that you would tell your younger self if that younger John were thinking about starting a podcast today? Yeah, it's interesting for me because podcasting was the point where I – came across and kind of went fully entrepreneur. Up until that point, I was, you know, the good soldier and the good lieutenant and following the career path. And podcasting was kind of the first time that I went off the beaten path to try something totally crazy. So yeah, the big thing, if I were to give myself some, uh, my younger self some advice, it would be to try and get on that path faster. And there's a bunch of things that tie into that. But the first one is just to be remarkable. You know, so much of what you get sold on a career path is fitting in and doing what's expected. But in, you know, both in podcasting and in marketing, especially, you know, doing something that is completely off the normal path and attracts attention and generates interest is kind of what you need to get things started and to, you know, get a spark to get things going. So, um, and a big part of that was niching down for us. You know, the first rev of a podcast that I did was, just basically kind of stealing the morning zoo formula. And then after a couple of years of that, I realized that, you know, by going into marketing and tech and bringing on Christopher Penn, who's completely unique and a great guy to work with, that that is what put us on a unique path and made us, you know, even though we were tiny, we were the market leader right off the bat because there was nobody like us. You know, there's that whole concept of a mega niche, right? Was that, uh, you know, the the online world is just so vast that if you can take a very small slice, it actually goes extremely deep and collects a lot of interest. And and that's you're, so you're saying is that that was a conscious decision? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that I realized right out of the gate was that you know if you try and do, in fact, the cast that I had done back then was called the M Show, and it, the idea was that it was ten minutes of news talk and entertainment, and it really um, was just stealing the morning zoo format. You know the kind of touch a little bit about entertainment and have a few interesting things, maybe get a few laughs and go, and. You know, I realized at a point that I was basically fighting the whole rest of the world. You know, every other person wants to be, you know, to do the Tonight Show and have that kind of thing. And you don't realize that as you start out, nobody wants to talk to you. You know, you don't get great guests because you don't have an audience to attract them and they have other venues to work on. And a big realization with that was, guess what? Not everybody... Uh, enjoys the tech or is excited about the new tech. You know, I remember talking to the uh, the governor's office of Massachusetts. I don't know, for some reason, I thought, oh, I could get the governor on. We could talk about a few things. And yeah, podcasting was hot in tech, but the PR folks from uh, the state had no interest in learning about a new channel. And, you know, I just got nowhere with that. And so that was when the light bulb kindly, you know, started to go on in that uh, you need to get specialized. And so, yeah, the, you know, I was already doing a bunch of stuff with marketing and technology, and that's also Chris's specialty. And I knew that by getting the two of us together, we could talk about stuff that, you know, no one would be able to hear anywhere else. How long did it take you to come around to that realization? I mean, what was the time frame before you realized that niching was the way to go? And were you concerned that there might have been, or were you interested in a couple of niches, and how did you end up landing on the one where you did? 
Yeah, the I had done over you know two years of episodes. There were over two hundred episodes of the M show that I had done, and that mm-hmm. definitely locked down all of the gear end of things and got a lot of the technology straight. But it's you know it's even been funny. The technology has changed so much. It's actually much less work now than it was then. And then you cross over the point too where you've kind of worked out all the technical stuff and you have your your artistic skills there, but then you switch gears to, okay, this is about creating content. You know, do, can we find something that sells and is interesting and compelling? And that's a whole different thing. You know, the kind of the, the stereotypical joke with podcasters is, you know, they sit around and talk about microphones all the time and that's you know, totally based in truth. That's the reality. But the fact is, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like, that's what we did. Yeah. Microphones and headphones and it's all, it's, yeah, exactly. Easy right. to talk yeah. about, and anybody with a credit card can go, you know, buy what they need to do. Um, and then sooner or later, like everything else in marketing, too, it's like you know you can get into all these channels, but sooner or later, you have to feed the beast and you know crank out material that people actually want to listen to and talk about. You know, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Luck is always part of it too. In that, you know, Christopher Penn lived in the town next to me. Christopher is at uh, Shift Communications now. He's been in marketing and PR, and he's basically the leading authority on marketing and artificial intelligence. He's one of the voices that clarifies kind of what's going on here and gives people some idea of what the future might hold. And yeah, he was doing a podcast about financial aid. The company he was at at that time did financial aid loans and financial aid consulting. And I heard him and, and you know, he would have a lot of marketing related stuff in that cast anyways, because that was his specialty. And after hearing him a couple times, I was like, oh, you know, the two of us should get on the mic together and we could really do something unique. And, and part of that too is just having two voices in a podcast is, is critical. You know, if one person is just talking and they're talking for more than 20 minutes, you just, by nature, you lose interest. So creating a soundscape with two different people adds a whole nother level to it. And then, and then it's the challenge of scheduling and lining it all up and, you know, that's just what makes it uh, such alchemy trying to get it all to work. Not to go down too, too tactical, but what, you know, tell me a little bit about your scheduling and your lining things up. What have you learned as a best practice there? That's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, one thing you want to decide if you're going to be evergreen or topical. That's a big decision to make because a lot of this stuff does have a great long tail. So if you want to do a lot of evergreen stuff and have it sitting in the queue, that actually makes your life a whole lot easier. Uh, if you want to become more topical, then scheduling becomes a lot more difficult. You know, you always want to make sure you have at least one episode in the can for safety, but you're kind of always doing that mad dash to get a couple of guests in the, in the pipeline and, and keep things moving. So yeah, there's. I haven't really found any best practices. It's more just you know, that, like you talked about, the kind of hidden gotchas. I, there have yeah. been plenty of people I've talked to that say that they end up spending literally half their time or more on the logistics of just getting the two people on the microphone. That 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 can be a huge time sink, depending on how you want to do that. And a challenge too, because a lot of time, I'm sure your guests are fairly busy people, and and so scheduling them in is one challenge, but also making sure that the actual tech behind it uh, performs and reduces the amount of stress there. That so that's that's a, that's an uncontrolled that you try to work with, but I I know that's been something that can trip a lot of people up, and including myself. Yeah, and it's so one. And now that I think about that. There is one thing you can do is always have a Google Doc or you know something in Evernote of everybody you want to have as a guest and always work on that. Cause I, I've literally had people that I had, um, Herb Cohen, the world's greatest negotiator. Uh, I had read his book, which had come out like 
10 years ago, but I read it. I was like, my God, this is a fantastic book. I want to get this guy as a guest. And then as I followed up on it, he had actually retired and had moved down to Florida and was just out of the game entirely. And then sadly, his wife passed away, but that was uh, drove him to jump back into the business about three years later. So I was actually down in Brooklyn about uh, two years ago and got a chance to talk to this guy who now has you know an entire lifetime of amazing experience. And But yeah, that was in the queue for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So what would be your second point? Uh, the second point, yeah, I, I think about live to serve. So much of uh, a lot of gurus talk about you know being of service and having empathy for your customer, and and I would say that is true. But you also have to have a path to the cash register. You know anything that you do along that front, you do have to eventually come up with some kind of model to support what you're doing, and. Every time we get a new channel, whether it's blogging or podcasting or video, there are people that just produce it for its own sake. And sooner or later, you do have to find a way for it to either connect and align with another part of your business or have it just drive traffic and use your your audience that you've managed to build by impressing, you know, drive them in some other direction so that there's some return on that. Because, yeah, the, the world, unfortunately, will uh, eat your orange and gladly throw the peel away. You know, you have to uh, find some way to, to keep everybody paid and keep the lights on. And that can be quite a challenge. But, you know, that's got to be part of the mix. Well, you're pretty unabashed about uh, about the path to the register. You talk about it a lot. Uh, you're open about it on your site that supports the podcast as well. Maybe you can just share a little bit about that path to the cash register and, and why you feel that it's so important and how you support that. Yeah, it's you know it's funny because when I was started out as a marketer, you know we were always trying to impress the trade pubs and get placement in the pubs, and we would just you know they would throw you a placement or two, you know, give you an article here or there, but ultimately it would come down to if you're not you know an advertiser, and I always thought of that as pay to play, but the reality is you know if you're really part of the community, then you will support the journalism and the reporting that's done in your space. And, and this is something that we're just, you know, entirely as a society are kind of going through and seeing now, you know, we kind of see that, oh my God, a presidential election can be determined by the fact that we don't want to pay for anything. You know, the fact that everything is ad driven, we, we get the news exactly. we deserve, not the news we want. As somebody that's producing marketing and tech content, um, we need the support of the vendors in the space. And so, you know, we do that through advertising and producing custom content. And yeah, so as a listener, kind of think about that. If you uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, you know, do try and throw some support to the folks that produce it because it's not free. You know, it does take time and money to create this stuff. And then there is, you know, of course, the the good news is that for the tall end of the tail, the folks that manage to mass a huge audience, well, then they never have to worry about money. And that's not a problem for them. They have enough sources so that now suddenly it, it's a business model that works. But for everybody else, uh, you, you kind of need to support the the outlets that are producing the kind of stuff you like just to keep it flowing. So what are some of the things that you do uh, to, to help keep it flowing? Yeah, for us, so advertising is, you know, right at the heart of it. And it's just, it's amazing. You know, in a lot of podcasts, you know, people talk about buying, you know, 20 or 30 bucks per thousand for years, just to get impressions in front of folks. But we have a really targeted audience. You know, everybody that listens to our cast is interested in SaaS based marketing tools and email marketing. And so it's, 
we're able to command, you know, five, 10 times what the average podcast advertising rate is because we have such a qualified audience. And it comes right down to it's more direct marketing. I mean, we can actually serve up leads to our customers. You know, you can count on 20 to 30 leads a month. And we really tend to exhaust the inventories. You know, people are like, we wish you had more impressions. You know, we would buy everything you've got because, you know, this is the best quality audience for us to be in front of. Um, So advertising is right at the heart of it. Another one is the email newsletter. We do that where, you know, we know that folks are listening in the car at the gym and they don't have time to, to follow up on a link right away or to research something. So by having them sign up for the newsletter, now every other week we hit them with an email that's got a bunch of the relevant links and they can say, oh, yeah, I heard about this on the show. You know, let me click in and learn more. And that's what drives a lot of the traffic for the advertisers. You know, they can count on those emails dropping and bringing uh, folks in the door for them. And you learn a little bit more about them. You then check out their site. You do see the newsletter. And I found the newsletter to be a really good second channel because I actually don't get the time to listen to everything. Uh, the synopsis is there. And it just gives me an easier kind of, oh, yeah, I'll go back to that. And, and of course, a lot of them are also have ads embedded within them too, which is all fine. I mean, totally get it. But the newsletter I found has been a, oh yeah, because it, it aligns, I guess, with my old school way of, of consuming uh, information. And that might be part of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's just that it's, it's in a different environment. You know, you're sitting in front of your computer, you're at the keyboard, you can click through and you can follow. And, you know, so much of podcasting is for the daily commute or exercise or hobbies or whatever. You're just, you know, you're isolated at that point. Yeah. Well, great. So what about your third point? Uh, Joining the right team. You know, it's funny, so much of what I always thought about in business was getting the right product or, you know, being in the right place at the right time. But it ultimately always comes down to the people. You know, you need to find people that you work well with and you share a common approach to, to life and to business. You know, I think in the past, it used to be that there was kind of just business. You know, there's people that just have their interests on a different path and don't match up with you. A great way to think about it really is just that over time, you will solve the product problems and you will be able to adjust if the people around you are giving you positive feedback and are transparent about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And you'll be able to adapt and move. And yeah, just for so long, I thought that, you know, by working on the the right product or getting the right job was the right way to go. And then as you, you know, go through time and find out that businesses come and go, and it's really the people that have a network of folks that they trust and work well with that end up succeeding. And so, and, and a big part of that is building your own team of people like that. You know, it's not enough to just go into a company and hope that you're going to network and find a lot of great people, you really have to take the time and effort to build that network yourself. And that's what can get you on the right path. And can you link that to me with uh, the experience of the, I think many of our listeners who are in an agency space uh, and they may either be the owner or one of the leaders within the agency, or they, or they might be new to it, but are thinking about trying to differentiate them, themselves within the, uh, the organization. So how would I link those two points that you just said, you know, one about the, the team, but where I am in the agency? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question because there's kind of, there's two levels to that. And I think a big part of that as managing an agency is where you're going to draw that line. You know, there are, there's the employees that are just looking for a job, you know, they're, they're there to learn and they need to be told what to do. And you may think about it's, they're not at a stage where you want to expose them to everything. You know, they don't, 
uh, probably it's probably not the best thing for them to know that you know what the cash flow situation might be like during tough quarters. And you know, there's a lot of things that it's better if they're protected from. And of course, and the fact behind that is in exchange for that simpler life of less to worry about, you know, there's lower salaries that go along with that. And then you kind of have a, your next level of folks that are taking more risk and are being paid more, but they're also more aware of what's really happening and how the whole system works. And those are the folks that, uh, you know, are really on your team and driving the whole direction of the organization. Um, but yeah, there's just so much we could unpack and dig into with that. You know, a, a big thing is that leaders take care of their teams. You know, so much, uh, so many of the problems that I see in a lot of organizations, you know, agencies and otherwise, is where the leaders start to insulate themselves from what's going on with the customers and with their employees. You know, they're more concerned about just kind of hitting the numbers and making sure that everything stays on an even keel. Um, whereas the more successful folks I see tend to lead from the front and you know take the risk and bring their plays along with them on more of the adventure and uh, you know it just seems like those are kind of the better places to work so in, in with respect to what you're sharing with your younger self uh, join the right team uh, you're thinking to start off with a podcast uh, not every organization is going to be supportive of it find those that are going to be understand what your niche is and get them to help you, you know, make this reality. I'm just trying to draw a tighter linkage between setting up a best practice with a podcast and me starting off in the agency. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, a podcast is an excellent example of that. So if you're starting off with the agency and you're pitching the podcast, what kind of reception do you get? You know, there's some yeah. organizations that are going to say, well, if we spend a dollar on this, you know, today, am I going to have $2 by the end of the quarter? And Correct. Those yeah. are the places you've got to run from because you're just, you know, or stay there for a quarter to get off the ground to prove you can do it and then go elsewhere. And those who have, you know, the the long-term view of, well, there's a couple things. One is that marketing programs fail. You know, just expect that a lot of things are going to give no return and not work. Expect that it's going to take a ton of time. You know, best case scenario, you might see some direct marketing type results quickly, but odds are everything you're doing is going towards building your brand and it can take years for that to play out. And uh, yeah, and you know, so our cast is like a classic example. I have a lot of people that are like, well, you know, we want to get to 10, 20,000 listeners an episode within four or five months. And, you know, well, yeah, that's definitely possible. But, you know, it's taken us 10 years to get to this spot. And, you right. know, that's because you have real word of mouth. Now, there's some shortcuts that you can buy around. But, yeah, you need to find somebody that's willing to take that risk and has the vision to take a chance on something and is not just kind of worried about, you know, is it going to pay back for us tomorrow? All right. Fourth point. Yeah, luck is a big part of it. I've the advice to my other self would be, you know, examine luck and ignore the luck of others, uh, because there's just so much that goes into business that you, you know you can uh, go out there, throw your best pitch, and not have any success with it, and someone could go back with the same thing tomorrow and knock it out of the park. And you really just don't be discouraged by whether you've hit success and don't compare yourself to other people, but you've, you know, you start up a new podcast, go in there with a vision and commit to doing it for, you know, six months or a year, but go out there and, you know, don't let up just because you don't see the results you want. If there's any spark of positive result, you know, know that over time that that's going to accelerate. And so, 
you know, unless you've gone three months and absolutely no one is listening at all, or your friends are telling you it's garbage, um, you know, don't give up with it, but don't let, uh, uh, your, your lack of luck and uh, the success of others dissuade you from going down this path. What, what are some of the things that we can do to help luck smile upon us? Is there anything that you might recommend? Yeah. And in the podcast space, it's perfect, right? The example is national public radio, these NPR people, you know, they were grinding out great quality content that was running, you know, Tuesdays at nine 30 once a week in their local market. And then suddenly podcasting appears and you know, it's just the classic explosion of, you know, first they were locked into that tiny slot and now they basically have audio Netflix, you know, they can go anywhere in the world to anyone and they've already been producing all this great content and all this stuff, but it just explodes and takes off. And so that's really the, you know, just like you said, position yourself for luck. You know, if you're doing all this work, you never know when it might suddenly become much easier to do what you're doing or, you know, there's some other climate shift where suddenly, you know, a hundred times the number of people uh, can show up at the door and consume what you're producing because it's just not the same world that was yesterday. So yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's just amazing to see all those folks. And in fact, so many, for so many years, I struggled with, you know, is this even something that could be a career? Like, can you live at doing this? But now, you know, I just look back and I'm like, well, look, the guys at Serial are all going to work every day in a normal building and they have a normal commute and they're producing audio and it's all good. It's a real job. Well, I have a question for you then that's going to link what we're just talking about now with our previous point about joining the right team. You know, Lennon had his McCartney, Hewlett had his Packard, you know, Jobs had his Wozniak and Gates had his Allen, right? So there's there's this uh, this long tradition of partnership that, you know, one plus one equals something more than two. And, and finding that person, there's some luck there. Clearly, you've mentioned that meeting up with Christopher was uh, kind of an inflection point. And would that be something that you would, I'm not trying to say recommend, but that, that's an example of, of luck playing it out, join the right team, and the two of you actually being able to push the thing further ahead. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because it's, I love podcasting and kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of audio and making it all work. But then, you know, Chris just, consumes an insane amount of information about marketing and advertising and PR every week. So he can always show up with some interesting stories about what's going on. So there's this, you know, never ending flow of content that I can tap into. So yeah, that's absolutely part of it. And that's the a huge part of the fun of this too, is that, you know, every time you get on the mic with somebody, there's a chance to catch some kind of lightning that, you know, nobody else has heard before and hopefully someone else will find interesting. Totally agree with you. So let's round it out. What's your final point? Yeah, for myself, it's it, it's rides right along with the rest of this. Is just take more risk. You know, I again, I followed just a classic career path of like go to school, go to college, get a job. You know, work for the boss. You know, try and move forward. And really, you realize eventually that it's the folks that just take insane amount of risks that have the insane payout. Now, some people aren't wired for that. You know, if you just are more than happy to kind of do your day job so that you have the resources to do all the cool stuff you like to do on the weekends and nights, then, and that that's fine. That works for you. But if you have any kind of regret about, you know, am I wasting my life with what I'm doing here? Uh, you ultimately do just have to stomach up and, and, you know, take the risk on and take a chance on something. And you can, you know, I'm a great example of, you know, doing it on the side as a hobby until it comes to a point where it's, it's more feasible. But even now too, as the market has 
ramped up in the mass market has shown up, I'm like, oh, you know, if I had gone full time with this a couple of years earlier, I would probably be two or three years ahead of the game now, and I'm still trying to make it up. So, but yeah, take a chance. Don't uh, don't stay on the beaten path. Go venture off and get into uh, get into some trouble. Take some chances, and yeah, you you're gonna sweat where the paychecks are coming from. But uh, you know, it's better that than live with regret in the nursing home. So that's a that's a life lesson for sure, and and one that I hardly ascribe to. And in fact, when we had Mitch Joel on earlier, uh, somebody I know you know, and he said much the same thing about taking more risks too, on a personal level. Uh, if we think about our our audience of agencies and taking more risk, would that ladder up to your first one of being remarkable? Might be something about that. Like so, all right, uh, we want to build our audience. So how do we do? That? Let's go very niche and take the risk that the audience will show up. I'm just trying to make sure I link those. Yeah, things. well, it goes right to the core of, you know. The, the why of your agency, like what do you guys specialize in? I mean, because you know, there's some folks that just specialize in specific channels, so that's it. They, you know, you just want to talk and and create content around those channels that you specialize in. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting question for an agency. You definitely want to spend a ton of time thinking about, you know, what do you want to talk about? Because the key is too, you ultimately want to be talking to your clients. So you're not going to want to give away a lot of your trade secrets. You're more going to talk about, you know, the impact your work has. And, uh, and the big thing with it, I think the majority of agencies don't want to, shouldn't be thinking about doing some kind of ongoing, you know, 500 episode massive run, but more, what if you did 10 episodes that kind of talk about the 10 best things that you do? And, you know, so if you have a prospect, you can just at some point throw them this link and say, hey, take 15 minutes and go listen to this. And, you know, we've had folks that have a similar problem to you and we've solved it for them. And it gives them an opportunity to, again, listen to it on the commute or in the gym or sometime when they normally wouldn't be thinking about you. And that's where you can really make it work for the business. That's a, a fantastic point. And very applicable in this case. Maybe maybe I'll just expand and ask you, you know, with respect to distributorship. So now you're creating this great content. You've said that it, you know, can send the link. Do you prefer to have um, access only from your site? Or are you a supporter of like pushing it across all the platforms that are out there? I mean, is, do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, for us, distribution has always been. I, I've always thought that Chris and I are, you know, we're each a brand that we do what we do. So I'm happy to have the podcast just given away everywhere, all over the place. Uh, you know, there's no upside to to channeling it. And even it's not like other web or video properties where there's a lot of analytics or value to forcing somebody down a, a specific channel you know, to get it from your site. So yeah, we, we've always been to the, you know, the farther, more far and wide, the better benefit in the long run to us. So we're, we're happy with that. And you mentioned analytics, uh, just because it's a question that comes up, you know, you talked about at this top, you know, podcasters talk about their mics, uh, this, uh, uh, coming from the analytics background, I like to look at analytics. So maybe you could just share, you know, what you use for that and, and why do you like so we've always hosted with Liberated Syndication, Libsyn. They're uh, just a long time, uh, one of the oldest podcast hosting companies. And Rob Walsh over there has you know, watched podcasting stats for over a decade and has been a friend. And so I just have stuck with them the whole time. So you know, we get uh, stats on a monthly basis. I can see you know, we tend to do 40 to 50,000 downloads a month. And the average episode when it drops will get between eight and 10,000 listens. But the thing is, we've managed to level up from there. Really, our sponsors don't care about the numbers. They're more interested in the number of leads. You know, Now, I'm looking more at, okay, how many 
how much traffic did we drive from the newsletter to the sponsors this month and how many leads do they get and you know do they want to continue working with us those are really the the numbers so the yeah raw listens are not you know years ago i would log in every day and see how many downloads i had now it's really it, it doesn't matter it's more about hitting the bigger markers that uh, indicate success for the our advertisers and everybody else involved with the project so um yeah we don't sweat the kind of the details as much as the big picture John, listen, our time is up. Uh, if I want to say thank you so much, you've given our listeners, I think, a lot to to consider and think about as they move into the podcasting uh, experience or if they're already doing some right now. I know you've been at it for a long, long time, so your top five tips are, are fantastic. If our listeners wanted to follow up with you with a more specific question, um, how would they do that? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter, John J. Wall. You can always reach me over there. And then swing on over to Marketing Over Coffee. We've got uh, a bunch of stuff over there, including a link to our most popular episode. So you can just jump right to the best stuff right out of the gate and take a taste. Yeah, there's some very tasty listens over there, I must say, John, and some great guests. So do take a listen if, you, um, if you're interested. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, we do this for you. We love your feedback. We love getting ideas on other subjects uh, that are of interest and of value to you. If you want to listen to our past episodes, they're available on Google Play. They're on iTunes or on Stitcher and SoundCloud. I encourage you to take a look at our back catalog. Not quite as broad as Marketing Over Coffee, but we're, we're starting up. And I look forward to having you join our future episodes when we'll ask our guests what are the top five things that they wish they'd known. Thank you. <music>